Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. You know, we don't uh, just have to wait for one day of the year to give thanks, but we have so much to be thankful for every day, don't we? Amen. The Lord is good. If we haven't met, my name is Steve Armanderas. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the church, and, um, you know, we are, have been going through the book of Psalms with Pastor Bob, and uh, Stephen mentioned next week we start our Christmas series, Holy Noel, and Pastor Bob's taking a little break and transition between the Psalms and uh, starting that new series, so I'd encourage you to be praying for him, and so he asked me to uh, share the word of the Lord this morning, and so I said, so do you want me to continue in the Psalms? You know, Psalm 12 is the next one up, and, and he said, let me pray about it. And, you know, for me, I'm hoping and praying because when you're given an opportunity to speak, it's so much easier when you are given an assignment of what to speak on and what to study. And he says, now we're going to take a break from the Psalms and then we'll start the Christmas tree. So, oh man, what do I share? And, and so, you know, Pastor Roger was talking to me about a verse in Jeremiah 32. And so, man, it really kind of just started the wheels turning. Uh, and, and I just have kind of been chewing on that for quite a while. And so, Whenever you're given an opportunity to share the word of the Lord, share what God is showing you. And so that's what we get to do uh, this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, yesterday's are in the aisle. If uh, you want to find Matthew 13, and then you want to also find Jeremiah 32, and then you also want to find Revelation 5, just throw your pen in there or your, uh, you know, something in there to save that spot. But Lord, we just want to say thank you for this time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, past week and the opportunity to pause and to just get together with family, with friends, with uh, food, and uh, Lord, fellowship. And Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, uh, we just want to pray that in this time this morning, you would our quiet our hearts, Lord, from all the noise, from all of the anxiety, all the concerns, all the craziness that's going on in our world. And Lord, we would pray that in this time we would hear your heart. We would hear your voice. We pray a blessing on the teaching of your word. May it find, Lord, uh, good soil in our heart to produce fruit. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know that God can say a lot in just one verse? And just one parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. In Matthew 13, there's a couple of just these little one-verse parables. And let me tell you, there is so much in just one verse. And in Matthew 13, 44, the words of Jesus, he says again, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. You know, if you study the Bible, you realize that the foundation for the New Testament is in the Old, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament is in the New. And so just this one parable, there's a great picture of, I think, uh, that'll help us unpack what this verse is speaking of, there in the book of Jeremiah. And so if you have uh, your Bible, Jeremiah 32 um, is, is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Uh, and then we'll look at a, a bit in Revelation before we leave. And so it's important to understand what 
the time that Jeremiah was writing in. And let me just say this. Jeremiah was called as a young man to go and proclaim God's word to the nation of Israel. He was known as the weeping prophet. In all of his years of ministry, we don't see a record of anyone getting saved. In many ways, you could say he was a complete failure, and yet, man, oh man, was he faithful to do what God had called him to do. And so, in Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 1, it tells us, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, for then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Let me just tell you, this was a bad time in the life of Israel, of Jerusalem. We don't often connect to the magnitude of being under siege because it really doesn't happen much in modern warfare. I guess it kind of can in different ways, but in the ancient world, medieval times, and throughout biblical times, when you were being attacked, oftentimes the, the main city, the capital, might be a fortified city. It was walled. It was protected. And so when the invaders would come at certain times of the year, you just go into your walled city, into your castle, into your fort, and you just hang out, and it's all good. Well, the challenge is at this point in time, this is Babylon, the great superpower of the ancient world at the time, and Nebuchadnezzar is there. And what they would do is they would start piling up dirt and rocks and whatever they could to reach the height or even above the height of your walls so that they could then shoot down on you. And it was horrific. There are stories in ancient history of people just slowly because the grocery trucks can't get in anymore. And you can't go out to the fields and get the crops. And if you did not have a water source that was running into your city, it was just a matter of time. And you would slowly be choked out and squeezed. And some of the most horrific accounts in history of suffering, of people starving to death, of people resorting to eating their own family members because they were so ravenous with hunger. This is a horrific time. And so... That's what's going on in Jerusalem. They're completely surrounded. They're completely cut off. And not only that, Jeremiah is thrown in prison because God told him when he called him in chapter 1, verse 16, Jeremiah, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me. They burn incense to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. And so Jeremiah, his whole life was spent warning the people of God, the nation of God who had God's name. Hey, you cannot continue in sin and expect to be blessed. You need to turn away from your sin, from your idolatry, from your wickedness. And what did they do? They hardened their hearts and they didn't listen to God. And so now King Nebuchadnezzar is coming and there's consequences to rebelling and disobeying God. And not only that, but Zedekiah, the king of Judah, takes Jeremiah and throws him into prison. Why? All the other prophets were telling Zedekiah, hey, this king of Babylon, he's not going to be successful in defeating you. You see, probably about 10 years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar had come and surrounded Jerusalem and laid siege against it. And what happened? Well, 
Nebuchadnezzar got word that the Egyptians were stirring up some strife, and so he left the siege. And, the, and Jerusalem, oh, we're the people of God. We're blessed. We're protected. We're the chosen ones. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. He came against us, and he left. We're the people of God. Well, now Nebuchadnezzar's back. And all the prophets were telling Zedekiah, ah, don't worry about it. God will protect us. We're good. He's going to watch over us. He's going to keep us. Except for one, Jeremiah. The city's going under. You're going to be carried away captive. God has warned you. You've rebelled. You haven't humbled yourself. You haven't turned and begin to follow the Lord in obedience. And so Zedekiah takes Jeremiah and throws him into prison. Wow. And so crazy times. Zedekiah didn't want to hear the word of the Lord. He wanted to hear something good. Only good things. And so I guess in some ways you can say that Jeremiah was the first guy in recorded uh, Bible history that got canceled. Hey, you tell me what I want to hear. You agree with what I say. It'll be good for you. But Jeremiah was canceled, thrown into prison. You know, in 2 Timothy 4, 3, it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's important that we listen to the right voice. There are many voices out there in the world that want to have influence in your life, that want to have impact, that want to tell you this is the right way. And they did not want to hear the word of the Lord and they find themselves surrounded what a picture of the world that we live in today. Years ago, the Word of God was removed from our education system. It's been removed more and more from the public square. Many of our monuments in our nation's capital used to have Bible verses etched in stone. But so many of those, if you go to D.C., have been chiseled out, sandblasted away, removed from the mind of people. And not only that, but sadly, the word of the Lord has been removed from many churches, many entire denominations that were once Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, and now they have abandoned the scriptures all in the name of a, a social justice or a political cause, and they no longer share the word of the Lord. And even sadder, many who call themselves followers of Christ no longer know what this book says. And it's not a part of many who call themselves Christians. It's no longer a part of their lives. But, like the nation of Israel, we're religious. We're God's people. We're protected. We're blessed. We're going to have success. And we don't need to worry about all of these things. And so that's the context of where Jeremiah is at. Under siege, but in prison. And things are not going well. And it's at that time in verse 6 that Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord 
came to me saying, Behold, Hanamel the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. So the Lord is telling Jeremiah, your cousin's going to come and ask you to buy this field. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came into the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then listen to what Jeremiah says. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, and I took witnesses and took the purchase deeds, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. And then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed which is sealed and this deed which is open, and put them in earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed in this land. Now, this is an unbelievable time in history. And again, the magnitude of being under siege. And Jeremiah, he's there in prison, and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, your nephew's going to come and going to want you to redeem your uncle's property. You see, in Leviticus 25, there was this law that is given when the children of Israel left Egypt and they came into the promised land. One of the beautiful things is God provided a place for every family. Every family, every tribe was allotted land. Why? Because God prepared a promised land and he has a place that is to be his kids. But if over the course of time you found yourself in debt, you found, you know, you needed some help, you could sell your land to a close family member. And there was a pecking order, the closest relative, and they could redeem it. And if not, then you can go to the next one, the next one. And so God is telling Jeremiah, in prison, your cousin's going to come. And sure enough, the cousin shows up, and he's kind of blown away. And then he says, wow, this is the word of the Lord. And how gracious it is that God would say, hey, there's a place for everyone. Now, practically speaking, I know that this was really troubling to Jeremiah. Because the reality of the matter is Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar had already defeated much of the land. And they were carrying people away captive 600 miles to the east. It would be the equivalent of going from San Diego to Tucson. And when they would conquer them, they would strip you down naked and they would march you. Oftentimes in chains and fetters. We think, well, Tucson's not too far. Try walking. And so it's vicious and it's brutal. And Anathoth, where this uncle's property is, was in Jeremiah's village, where Jeremiah was from himself, is three miles north of Jerusalem. And guess what? That's outside of the city walls. 
And essentially, Jeremiah knows that this land is already conquered. And throughout history, when a people were conquered, when the people were besieged, they would be carried away as slaves into a foreign land. And throughout history, history shows that by the third generation, you are pretty much completely absorbed into the culture that you've been carried away captive into. You adopt, well, you might be a slave initially, but you begin marrying with people from the culture. You adopt their language. You develop, develop their diet and all of those things. And you pretty much become those people. And so it's like pretty hopeless. Now, we live in a time right now in our community where the real estate in this area is more valuable than it has ever been in the history of San Diego. And you can say inflation, you can say all these things. I was reading some real estate expert and he was talking about how, in his opinion, and he showed, shared the data as to why he believes this is true, he made the statement, San Diego real estate is the most desirable real estate in the entire nation. And anyone who has the means and ability to move to San Diego is trying to move that here. And, you know, Sarah and I, we get a, a letter or a phone call at least once a week from realtors asking if we want to sell our home. They have a cash buyer and we'll get top dollar paid. And, and you know, it's kind of like, wow, they'd pay that much for our home. And it's crazy what has happened in real estate. And if you want to get the idea of what's happening in Jeremiah's time, in particular this property in Anathoth, it would be the exact opposite of what's happening right here and right now. The Babylonians have already conquered that area. This land is completely worthless. It makes absolutely no sense to buy this. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, your cousin's going to come. And then the cousin standing there before him and Jeremiah knew that it was the Lord. And what did he do? He bought it. He redeemed it. He obeyed the Lord. And he has it buried in kind of these things that I think the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in. They're in the caves of Qumran, these clay pots that preserved documents for thousands of years. And, you know, archaeologists tell us in history, they still discover all over Israel these pots, and inside are these deeds. And it's a sealed deal, a sealed deed, and then there's an open deal of who owns that property, who owns that land. And it's pretty cool. But I will say this. There are some times when the word of the Lord will call us to do something, and it makes no sense. And if we could learn a lesson from Jeremiah even when it doesn't make sense, obey the Lord. Even when it doesn't make sense, do what the Lord is calling you to do. And so he responds and he does that. You know, sometimes I think we can feel like God is maybe leading me to do something, but it doesn't make sense. Is that the sushi I had last night? that combo pizza that didn't just hit quite right. And we can wonder and we can doubt. And I would tell you this, if you feel like God is prompting you, leading you, directing you to do something, just wait. Don't be so quick to dismiss it. And the Lord will affirm it again. And he will confirm it by other people. 
and the circumstances, and most of all, he gives us peace and direction. And, but it didn't make any sense to Jeremiah, and yet he followed through. God made it clear. And when God makes something clear, we should obey it, whether we like it or not. Well, if I do that, that's going to cost me. If I do that, that's not going to work out well for me in the end. And so he does it. And he has the deed put the sealed one and the open one in a pot that'll last a long time. Matthew 24, 35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The word of the Lord will endure beyond this planet. It'll always be true. And so we should keep the word and preserve the word and protect the word in our life. And so, you know, Jeremiah's not like pretending that this is something easy. He's kind of perplexed by this. He's kind of troubled by this. And so what does he do? He prays. Now, how many of you really feel comfortable about prayer? Like you're really good at it. Awesome. Pray for me. For those of us who are not really good, who are struggling, who are learning and growing, and it's awesome. We need, man, we have some serious prayer warriors in our church, and we are so thankful for you who pray. And that, to me, it's the greatest, one of the greatest gifts in the church because it's powerful. But, you know, one thing that I've learned is when I don't, that's really helped me in growing in prayer is I learned to pray by seeing how other people prayed. And Jeremiah, beginning in verse 16, prays, and I'm telling you, there are some great things that we can learn from how he prayed. And in verse 16, it says, Now when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. You know, sometimes... We're dealing with a situation that just seems ginormous. It seems huge. And it can be overwhelming. It can be discouraging. And yet, Jeremiah turns his eyes above what's going on in his circumstances and he lifts them to heaven and he addresses the Creator who didn't just create you and Jeremiah and I. He created all that there is. And when we see the majesty of God and his glory and his goodness, you know what happens? We begin to get a better perspective on what's going on in our lives. And that's what God desires to do, that we would lift our eyes off of what we see or what we think is so huge or so important, and all of a sudden we have a different perspective on that. Oh, Lord God, you made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power, an outstretched arm, and listen, Jeremiah knows this, there is nothing too hard for you. You know, we can say that, but do we really believe that? You show loving kindnesses to thousands. That's really the word mercy, chesed in the Hebrew. Complete love and nothing but love is what God has for his people. And you repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of the children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Jeremiah again is reminding himself of who God is. 
And the word of God reveals who God is. The God of hosts. And we think that the host, what is that? Well, literally, host can be an angel. He is the God of angels' armies. There's songs about that. Do you realize that's who we pray to? The rabbis actually would interpret from Genesis 2 when God made heaven and earth and all the hosts, they would actually say that that's a reference to every atom and every molecule. And that every atom and every molecule of creation is all subject to the authority and the will of God. And I believe that that is true. But oftentimes, just the God of angels' armies. When we sing this morning, do you realize who we're singing to? When we gather together and we enjoy the fellowship, it's not just being around other people. Something supernatural is happening. The Bible tells us that the Lord dwells in the praises of his people. Now, it doesn't mean that God isn't there with you when you're home alone or driving in your car all by yourself. He's with you then. But when we come together corporately, there's something awesome and some, something amazing that happens, that the Lord is here. And you can come in all grumpy and bummed out, and all of a sudden, you're here and you're, you're, you're sitting, and you know there's like this progression. You come and you sit, and maybe you sit critically. Oh, I didn't like that song, or oh, that guy was out of tune, or oh, the lady next to me sure needs to learn how to sing. And you can kind of be focused on all of these different variables. But when you begin to really recognize what it is that we are all doing, some of us can sing really well, and others of us have been gifted with that gift of a, a joyful noise when we sing. But we are praising God and we're giving him thanks, and, and it changes the perspective on these things. Verse 19, you are great in counsel and mighty in work. Do you know that God is the great, wonderful counselor? We can ask him. I don't know what to do here. And we can ask him, Lord, would you show me? And as we spend this time in this process, as Jeremiah is kind of really perplexed by the fact that God asked him to buy a property that for all intents and purposes is completely worthless, it doesn't make sense what you're asking me to do. It does, I don't get it. And he's just wanting to understand. And he's just reflecting on God. Lord, you are mighty in work for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And, you know, all these doorbells now, they're like ring. And you got a camera. And your camera picks up when the, you know, the truck goes by or, you know, saw a crazy video. Some coyote was just jumping on the front door. I don't know if you saw that this last week. And the ring captures it. Why is a coyote jumping on the front door, like, repeatedly? I don't know. I have no idea. But the video captures it. And there's things that happen. But you know what's amazing is all of our ways are known to the Lord. It's not just what we're doing, but he knows what we're thinking. And he knows why our heart is thinking and doing and wanting what it is that we want. God knows everything. And so our perspective changes when we understand who God is and his majesty and his ways. And then he starts to talk about Egypt. Man, oh man. Jeremiah's reflecting back and reminding himself of what the Lord did in Egypt. You want to talk about miraculous. You want to talk about miracles. You want to talk about nothing is too hard for God. Start reading in Genesis 37 when it starts with Joseph being brought into captivity and, man, all the struggles that he had and wrongly imprisoned and then living his life so that he could save an entire nation through the hardships and difficulties that he went through. 
and being used by God. And then you get into the book of Exodus and Moses is raised up, let my people go. And I mean, he's recounting the majesty, the glory, the works of God. And we forget that. And when we forget that, we start to freak out. When we forget that, we lose hope and we begin to despair. And so Jeremiah prays for understanding and we can learn a lot about how to pray. And the mind-blowing thing is he's saying all of these things. Verse 24, look, the siege mounds, they have come to the city to take it and the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. You sent me and I've been warning them. Turn to the Lord and you, they've rejected and what you've said would happen has happened. Judgment has come. In verse 25, and you've said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses, yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. I don't get it, Lord. It doesn't make sense to me. I wish that I had understanding as to what is going on here. And he remembers those characteristics and he reflects on who God is. And it's a very good thing to do. You see, when we worship, when we pray, we're reminded of a heavenly perspective and that will put in focus our current situation. So many times in life we come to a place where we do not understand what's going on. Do what Jeremiah did. Remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of what God has done in the past. And what he has done in the past, he can do again in the present. And as God has acted throughout history, he can act today in my history. I've learned over the years, when I come to the place where I don't know or understand what is going on, rest in what I do know is going on. And in time... It'll become clear. God brings insight. God brings wisdom. God will reveal the next step to take. But so many times when I'm in that situation, what do we do? We freak out. And so there they are. They're surrounded. We've rebelled. We deserve this punishment. We're carried away captive. It's going to happen. And yet you say by the field, it doesn't make sense. Now, some of you are here and you're thinking, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm, I don't, nothing that you've said makes sense whatsoever. If you hear anything, hear this next verse. In verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. When did it come? It came after he remembered. It came after he reflected. It came after he thought about what God has done. And when you understand what he's done, he shows you more and how it affects your situation. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? There is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing too hard for God. Man, looking for a memory verse? 
Let verse 27 of Jeremiah 32 be one that you hide in your heart. Commit it to memory this week. Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Some of you need to hear that. Well, Steve, you don't understand. I'm surrounded. I'm choked off. I've been canceled. I've been misunderstood by my employer, by my own family members, maybe even by your own spouse. I'm confused. I'm all alone. Is there anything too hard for me, says the Lord? Sarah and I had a great Thanksgiving. We went up to uh, my sister's house. She lives about 100 miles north, Cucamonga, where I grew up. Every year, my, my mom has Thanksgiving at her house. But my dad went to be with Jesus uh, a year ago Monday. And so we just thought we'd give mom a, a little break from doing all the work. Because it is, you all know, it's a lot of work. And so my sister, she's a great cook, and so she hosted it, her and her husband, Reggie. And it was awesome, man. I was so full after appetizers alone. But I still managed to choke down some turkey and all the other stuff. And man, I was the stuffing. And I didn't stop stuffing. It just kept coming. You know, we had such a great time. And laughter and joy. It was like the most peaceable Thanksgiving ever because oftentimes you get together with family, it could be like drama. And I can't tell you how many Thanksgivings I've spent in the back room counseling and, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> but it was just joyful and peaceful. And, and so, and Caleb was there with us. Our other two kids can't come home until Thanksgiving, uh, with their, until Christmas, sorry. Um, and so we're driving home, and we need gas, and we're just kind of in between Corona and Lake Elsinore on the, off the 15, and I pull off the freeway, and I get out and swipe the card, and I'm waiting for everything to clear, and I was like, what is that noise? And I heard a woman just, like, wailing, crying. She was right on the other side of the pump from me, and I was like, so I got the gas going, and I just kind of walked around the pump. I said, excuse me, are you okay? She's trying to pull it together. Yes, yes, I'm fine. I said, no, you're not. What's going on? I introduced myself. She introduces herself. Her name is Crystal. She's going through divorce. She has five kids. Oldest is 22. The youngest is four. And here on Thanksgiving Day, she's all alone. And no one wanted to be with her. And she's not with any of her kids. And she's not with her brother. She's not with anyone. She is all alone. And you know what she said? No one cares. And I said, Crystal, I care. And then I asked her, do you go to church? And she said, no. I said, did you ever go to church? Said, yeah. When I was a little girl, my mom used to take me to church. I said, do you remember anything from church when you were a little girl? And she said, yep. I remember hearing Jesus loves me. And I said, you know what, Crystal? It's true. And he has never stopped loving you. And you feel surrounded. You feel cut off. You feel choked out. You feel like nothing good is going on. But I want you to know that Jesus cares. And Jesus loves you. And I told her, I said, Crystal, there is nothing impossible for God. 
And she started thanking me. And I was able to pray for her. And there's Sarah and Caleb in the car wondering, what is on earth is going on? <laughs> and I prayed for her the whole way home. And I've continued to pray for her. And I don't know if I'll ever see her again here on earth, but I believe that I can see her again. Because Jesus loves her. And as challenging and as difficult as her life is, there is still hope. And the same is true for you. And you might feel like you're choked out. You might feel like you're under siege. You're surrounded. You are dying a slow death and no one cares. That is not true. God sees and God hears and God knows. And draw near to him. Nothing is too hard for God. But I will say the Bible is very clear that God cannot bless those who continue to live in rebellion and sin against him. And that's what was going on in the nation of Israel. Well, we're God's people. We're protected. We're blessed. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be wonderful. They're going to be defeated again like they were 10 years ago. Nope, not going to happen. We read on in verse 28. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against the city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. Down in verse 35, it wasn't just Baal, but it, it says that they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come to my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. What was that all about? Baal, the worship of Baal. Baal was a fertility god. And in the ancient world, they believed that he was the one that controlled the weather. And controlling the weather meant what? Good crops. You didn't get rain, you weren't gonna have good crops. You weren't going to have food to feed your animals. It was a huge hit on the economy. And so they would worship all, and it was very perverted in the way that they would worship. They would oftentimes worship by having sex with temple prostitutes. And they believed that this would bring prosperity and blessing from Baal. This wasn't the pagan heathen nations that were doing this. This was the people of God who were living a very promiscuous lifestyle, and anything went and anything was acceptable. And then Molech, he was the God of financial prosperity, the God that would bring a better future. And the way that Molech was worshipped, also with temple prostitutes, but in the process of time, whether you were married or not, they would go, and it was acceptable to have relations in this wicked way. But the way that you would really procure his favor and blessing is Molech was this huge brass statue in the body of like a man with arms out like this the head of a beast, and they would take their children, their firstborn child, and this thing would be lit on fire, burning molten hot, and they would take their firstborn and they would sacrifice their child on the altar to, Baal, uh, to, to Molech. 
believing that this would bring prosperity and favor and blessings. And God was upset with that. And that's why they were surrounded. You know, our nation lives for the same thing today. It's all about prosperity. It's all about success. It's all about more for me. It's all about pleasure. It's all about doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And many sacrifice their children for prosperity and success. This is a heavy thing that I'm about to say, but you need to understand what's happening in our country. On this Wednesday, December 1st, the Supreme Court is going to hear an appeal from Mississippi that potentially, if goes the right way, can repeal Roe v. Wade and put an end to abortion. There's another case in Texas that's going on. We need to be praying. We need to understand because you think, what does this have to do with anything, Steve? Roe v. Wade was challenged in 1992. It was Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and the case upheld Roe v. Wade. This is almost, what, 30 years ago. And Anthony, Justice Anthony Kennedy, writing the majority opinion as to why they upheld Roe v. Wade, listen to what he says. This is something you could find. I'm not making this up. Says this, for two decades of economic and social developments, people have organized intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail. The ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. We hear, my body, my choice. I believe God's word would say, your body that I gifted to you to choose to live in a manner that honors and pleases me. And essentially what Anthony Kennedy in writing for the majority when Roe v. Wade was upheld in 1992 says, it's all about the money. And make no mistake about it, that's what's happening again. Because this Wednesday, as I said, the Supreme Court will hear the arguments on Mississippi's abortion ban that could lead to the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And in opposition to that move, thousands of individuals who have had abortions submitted a brief on Monday sharing stories of how terminating pregnancies helped them to avoid going on public assistance allowed me to end a bad relationship, allowed me to continue my education, and probably more than anything, allowed me to continue my career. I don't want anything to impede my success. I don't want anything to take away from my prosperity. I don't want anything to do that. And so we have legalized and accepted the death of millions and millions of children. And in the minds of many, Roe v. Wade is done and it's settled and it's law forever now. Is there anything too hard for God? And he is calling people to stand and to fight and to raise your voice. We forget that it is people, it is men and women who are making these laws and these decisions. 
And it might seem unjust or unfair. And oh, the poor person, they're going to suffer. How are they going to afford a child on their own and they don't have any support? Is there anything too hard for God? And we take matters into our own hands and yet there is nothing that is too hard for God. And so God sends Jeremiah, and look at verse 33. He's, wooing, he's calling them. He's saying, don't, don't go down this path of destruction. Look at what verse 33 says. And they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. If you're here this morning and you are walking in a manner that's not pleasing to God, know this. You might be having fun, but the Bible says sin is only for a season. But the end brings destruction. It might be sweet in the mouth, but it'll be bitter in the belly. And God doesn't want to see your destruction, doesn't want to see your ruin, wants to bring blessing and peace and prosperity and life and abundance, but he cannot bless sin. And so he sent the prophet Jeremiah, and he sends a, a knucklehead pastor here before you today to just say, don't turn your back to the Lord. Turn your face to him. Draw near to him. Look to him. It's amazing. God says this judgment is coming. But in the midst of that, man, he changes the tide in verse 36. Now therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of of the king of Babylon, by the sword and by famine and by the pestilence, behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from doing good. Never in the history of the world has a people been carried away captive for 70 years, but you know what the Lord did? He brought them back. 70 years, Psalm 90 says, it's been given to men 70 years on earth, and if by reason of strength, 10 more is a blessing. It's a lifetime. And we live our lifetime surrounded and cut off in so many ways. And yet the Lord says, even then, if you're a part of my family, I will give you a new heart and I will give you a new life and I will give you a new way to live and I have a place for you and I will restore you. You can read the chapter on your own. I'm over time. But just to finish, because I started with that parable in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure. And what does he do? He takes all that he has, all that he has, and gives it to buy the field. Why? So that he could have the treasure. Revelation chapter 5 is a, 
amazing chapter, and I just want to share with these few verses from this. You see, the Bible tells us that God created the land. And when he created Adam and Eve, he gave the title deed to the planet into their hands. And when they sinned, what happened? The devil took the planet over. He has the deed. He has the authority. When Jesus was on earth in Luke 4, what happened? He was taken out into the wilderness and the devil tempted him. What did the devil say? Bow down and worship me and I will give you it all. Why? How could he offer that? Because he had it. And Jesus didn't take the bait. In Revelation 5, and I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside, inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Couldn't even look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Read Isaiah 11 if you want to study that. Sent out into all the earth, and he came, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And that scroll that only Jesus Christ could open is the, planet, the deed to planet earth. And his death on the cross, he's the one who gave everything to buy the deed to planet earth because he loves the earth. He loves the treasure on this earth and that is you and that is me. You've been redeemed if you know Jesus and what a joy to receive that and to know that even though in this life, in a lot of ways there's captivity, in a lot of ways there's things that choke us out, the Lord has a place for you. Your final chapter will not be written here on earth. God has given you eternity in his kingdom, and he has a place for you. He said, I go away to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again, that you may be where I am. And so we have a choice. Am I going to turn back and turn away? Or will I turn the face to the Lord? Don't be a backslider. 
Don't live the way that this life and this world wants you to live in bondage to lust, in bondage to greed, in bondage to stuff. Live to please the Lord. And when this life is over, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to die. Why not just eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die? The Lord has a place and he'll receive you. He has a place for you to live forever. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him and are the called according to his purposes. But he reveals them to us through his word. And right now, it's almost like we're looking through a, a glass dimly, like a tel- you know, an old telescope. You can't, I can kind of see it, but I really can't see it. But when you get there, oh my gosh, it looks pretty awesome. It looks pretty cool. One of these days... We will be there. And that is our hope, and that's the gospel. Do you know that you are the treasure of God himself? And it should just draw us and compel us to lean in, to lean on to the heart of Jesus and know that he loves you and know that he cares for you and know that he understands how difficult life is. And he understands some of you got stuff going up against you and you think, I'm, I'm doomed, I'm like done. You know, Jeremiah, the city was conquered and Jeremiah was released by the Babylonians. And they figured, well, you're, you're in the king's prison. You must have been an enemy of them. And, and why don't you come back to Babylon with us? And he said, no, I'd rather stay here. And he lived his life out, not as a slave, but as a free man. Love the word of the Lord. It's so amazing. There's so much more. Read the next chapter, chapter 33. I think it's verse 3. Call upon me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and marvelous things that you do not know. That's the heart of God, not to be some mystery and difficult. And he's revealed everything we need to know to get to know him, and it's through his word. Father, I thank you this morning for the beautiful hope that we have and the beautiful word. And Lord, that simple parable that Jesus told, Lord, is really telling us so much more. We thank you that you are the one who has the title deed to planet Earth. And Lord, I believe the greatest thing we can do is give the title deed of who owns us into your care. If there's anyone here who does not yet know you, Lord, may today they turn their face to you. Not because they're perfect or right. We're all jacked up. We're all broken. We're all sinful. But because we acknowledge, I need you, Lord. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my lust. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my covetousness. Forgive me for so many different ways that I dishonor you. Thank you for your love. Lord, I need that new heart that your word speaks about. I need that new way. Jesus, you said you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through you. Lord, today I choose to live you for you and turn my face to you. I love that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. and The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's stand and let's sing that before we go.